Well, good morning. <laughs> I'll tell you, there's some folks I'm so glad to see here. And here's one of them sitting right here. <laughs> but we're highly blessed today. And I'm thankful for the opportunity to share a few words with you today. Now, Jeff has been preaching to us on the subject of forgiveness. And, and, and during this time, I kept asking myself, from whom do I most need forgiveness? And I, I came to the conclusion it could be none other than my wife. My goodness. You see, I met her at Abilene Christian uh, while we were freshmen, and uh, she really impressed me, so much so that I started dating her, and before long, we were engaged to be married. And uh, I, I, it, 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 was, it was wonderful. <clears throat> and uh, I was a pre-med major at that time, and, and we talked about how we would complete our work at Abilene, and we would perhaps go to some place like Vermont where the church was almost non-existent, and plant a church. Well, uh, things changed a little bit because she had grown up vowing, vowing she would never marry a preacher. <clears throat> and I decided in my junior year, I had to preach. That broke our engagement. I was, I had to go that summer to post to work that summer and I couldn't even finish my work in post because of my grief over our broken engagement. And I came back to Abilene. I was determined that somehow I had to convince this lady that she could indeed marry a preacher. By the grace of God, I was successful. And we gave her mother three weeks to get ready for a wedding on September the 5th of 1953. And we got married then. And we finished our senior year. Shortly after that, the Skillman Avenue Church in Dallas, <laughs> which is in which is in the Christian Chronicle, this issue, uh, going from 1,200 members to 80, to 80 members. But they sent us to Augusta, Maine, which was a mission point that they were interested in. And we spent three years there, really very unsuccessfully. And I said to her, let's go back. Let's go back to the South and let's see if we can't find 10 families who will go with us to plant a new church. And, and she agreed. We went back to Abilene and, and we got to go to work with the Parkway Drive Church in Lubbock, Texas, and they were very sympathetic about our plans. 
And so we started recruiting families. And before long, we had 10 families. But Walter Birch came through from Abilene. He said, why don't you raise your gold to 30 families? And we did. Well, <clears throat> it was a pretty big commitment we were asking folks to do. Uh, quit your job, sell your home, move to a part of the country you've never been to. <clears throat> but it was, it was absolutely amazing. Before long, we had 40 families, and, and we had an employment conference in Dallas, and we got people coming from Long Island to interview our people, and quite a few people were hired. And in, in the summer of 1963, there were 86 families that moved to the South Shore of Long Island, New York. Most amazing thing I had ever seen. And uh, <clears throat> the church that was supporting us sent their young people up there for a door-to-door -door survey and they were able to arrange one, over 100 home Bible classes. And we weren't prepared. <laughs> to teach a hundred Bible classes, but <clears throat> we got prepared. And within, uh, within a few months, there were 175 baptisms and that church just, just exploded. And what a blessing it was. And, and, I, and, and, and I was so caught up in it and loved it. And we had been there for eight years and I walked into the house one day, and Barbara said to me, I'm not going to teach school next year. And you're going to have to decide if you want to support this family. Wow, by this time, I had a master's degree in pastoral counseling. Not only was I the preacher in the church, I was the marriage counselor. My goodness, I didn't realize how much trouble my marriage was in. I asked her, I said, would you go with me to see Dr. Holcomb, great family therapist at Iona College where I'd studied? And she said, I will. I thought to myself, hallelujah, Fogarty will get this lady straightened out in a hurry. <laughs> well, you already know who he started on, don't you? <laughs> and the first question he asked me was, Evans, what makes you think God is not going to get his work done in this world without you? Boy, when I heard that question, I knew I better get, start looking for a job in a hurry. Because, because I had to support the family. Well, all my training was for the ministry, but I found a real estate company on the North Shore of Long Island, and they were syndicators. They put me through a little training program, and then they sent me 
to Houston, Texas. I would fly out of JFK Monday morning and go back Thursday evening, and Houston was exploding in 1970. And I started buying properties here, and uh, then I found a package of properties for $20 million, properties like 114 acres at Westheimer and West Belt and 16 acres at Boston San Philippi, 30 acres at Richmond. So, I mean, some of the prime properties in the city of Houston. I, and they bought them. And then they called me into the office there and they said, Evans, you have to move to Houston. Well, I went home and asked Barbara. <laughs> Big question. Will you go to Houston? And she said, I will. And later she said it was like throwing the rabbit into the briar patch. And we came to Houston in 1970, and we joined this church here in 1972. We were here during the years of Bill Love, and what a blessing. What a blessing that was. And... Uh, Bering Drive, since that time, has been a huge blessing to both Barbara and me. And uh, I'm very thankful for the opportunity to speak to you this morning. But I had to come to my wife and say, I need your forgiveness. And she graciously extended it to me. What a blessing to have a wife who will forgive you. And she did, and she has, and continues <laughs> to forgive me. And I'm so thankful for that. But I do want to say a few things to you this, this day about about the church. <clears throat> Some time ago, one of my grandsons said, the church is sick. Now, I didn't hear him say it. I don't even, I have three grandsons. I don't know which one it was, and I have them asked. But if I'd heard him say it, I would have said to him, I agree with you. Someone has said, you couldn't stand the stench inside if it were not for the storm outside. Now, now, when I was growing up, I was taught that I was a member of the one true church. And I learned to quote Romans 16, 16, the churches of Christ salute you, salute one another with a holy kiss. I was taught that we were the one true church and all of the other denominations were apostate and if you wanted to be saved, you had to be a member of the church of Christ. Wow. 
Now, some of you are old enough to remember this. But this position was born of arrogance and ignorance and without foundation in the Scripture. Thankfully, most mainline churches of Christ have long since abandoned this position. But if we're to be the people that God has called us to be, we must continually go back to that New Testament to see the church as Jesus saw it. Ecclesia semper reformanda, cried Martin Luther. The church must continually be reformed. And this is what I would say to my young grandson. But I would go further. I would share with him our text for today. This is found in Matthew chapter 16. Now, when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist. Some say others Elijah, others Jeremiah. Or one of the prophets, he said to them, But who do you say I am? And Simon Peter, not known for his reluctance to speak, said, You are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on the earth will be bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on the earth will be loosed in heaven. And then he sternly ordered the disciples not to tell anyone that, that he was the Messiah. <clears throat> well, this is, the, this is the church. And this is the church that we need to recognize today. And this church is the invisible church. We see this church triumphant in Revelation 21 when the scripture says, Then one of the seven angels, who had the seven bowls full of the seven last plagues, came and said to me, Come. I will show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb. And in the Spirit, he carried me away to a great high mountain and showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. It has the, it has the glory of God and a radiance like 
a jasper, like a rare jewel, clear as crystal. It has a high, great wall with 12 gates, and, the, and at the gates, 12 angels. And on the gates are inscribed the names of the 12 tribes of the Israelites. On the east, three gates. On the north, three gates. And on the south, three gates. And on the west, three gates. And on the wall of the city has 12 foundations. And on them are the 12 names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. Now, we, we see this church as a church triumphant. And what, what a great church it is. This, this is the invisible church. And it is, it is greater than the churches. We, we are not the people of Dr. Jeff Christian's church. We're not the people of the Church of Christ. We're not the people of the Episcopal Church. We're not the people of the Baptist Church. We are the people of the Church. We are the people of the Church against which the gates of hell will not prevail. And this is no sick church. This is the new Israel of God. This is the church we are called to be. But what is it really? The scripture says you are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals for you were slaughtered by your blood you fat, you've ransomed for God saints from every tribe and language and people and nation, and you've made them to be a kingdom and priests serving our God, and they will reign on the earth. My brothers and sisters, it is the church of the New Testament, or it is no church at all. The early church understood that it was an eschatological community living in the last days. And, and there was a very strong expectation about the coming of the Lord. And the apostles had to urge the Christians to be patient in waiting for the coming of the Lord. And this is something, this is something we've lost. We had just as soon the Lord would take his time. Oscar Kuhlman described it like this. He said, it's kind of like D-Day invasion when the landing at Normandy was taking place. The outcome was certain, but V-J Day was not yet. There were battles that would be fought. There were lives that would be lost before VJ Day. We're like that. We are between the times when the absolute victory has already been assured, but not yet. 
The time is coming, perhaps soon, when we will see the church triumphant. He may come today. It could be any time. But we must, we must be ready. Well, where do we go to learn about this church? There's no other place to go but to the New Testament. And there's no better place in the New Testament than Paul's words in Philippians 2, 6 through 11, when he says, let this mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus. Though he was in the form of God, he did not regard equality with God as something to be exploited, but emptied himself, taking the form of a slave and being born in human fashion. He humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even death on the cross. Therefore, God also highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bend in heaven, on the earth, and under the earth, and every tongue Every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. This is the church we're talking about today. My brothers and sisters, as the bride of Christ, we are to be like the bridegroom. If we're to be the church invisible, the church of the New Testament, we will be a missionary church. Mission is not to be one of our activities. It is to be reflected in everything that we do. There, there have been some great churches, great mission churches. Two of them are the People's Church in Toronto, Canada, and the Park Street Church in Boston, Massachusetts, located on the Boston Common, where John Harold Ockengay was pastor for many years. The Harvard students refer to it as hellfire in Brimstone Corner. But this church, this church has spent more than $30 million for missions. And the minister at mission, of missions at Park said, why do we spend so much money and effort? And then he quoted 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 24, from the today's English version, because the love of Christ leaves us no choice. Several years ago, a group of us attended this missions conference at Park Street. My goodness, I've never seen anything like it. There were scores of people from all around the world 
who were giving a report on what God was doing through them. I mean, these were medical doctors. They were people from every profession. Well, it was, it was the most exciting, one of the most exciting experiences I've ever had. And we used to sing an old song. When in a better land before the bar we stand, how deeply grieved our souls may be. If any lost one there should cry in deep despair, you never mentioned him to me. We seem to be able to talk about everything on the face of this earth except our faith. And this is an area where we are afraid of ostentation. We're not afraid of ostentation in the clothes we wear or the cars we drive or the homes we live in. Jesus said in Matthew 5, 16, let your light so shine before men that they seeing your good works will glorify your Father in heaven. And you ask, well, well, how, how do we deal with this? Someone says, well, I just let my life speak. Which one of us could say my life is adequate witness? Jesus said, what I whisper in your ears, shout on the housetop. The love I feel for Christ because of what he has done for me is my greatest motive to share his good news with others. As the psalmist said, let the redeemed of the Lord say so. But I want to mention a, another great ministry of this church here, the Bearing Church, and that is the ministry of encouragement. Years ago, our Samira Fitz, who sits here this morning, introduced to us the encouragement card ministry. And you'll find these cards tucked in your songbook on, in the pocket just inside the front cover. And I can't tell you, I can't tell you through the years how many of these cards I have received. Words to encourage you when you were down. Words to encourage you when you were ill. And you've, got, you've had them too. You know what I'm talking about. What a ministry this has been. I decided when at age 88 it was time to retire, that I would become a minister of encouragement. All because of this ministry that Samira started for us. We need that encouragement. And uh, this is where I can give you that word of personal witness. But I can tell you, that I know I'm not going to go to heaven by myself. 
I'll either go with others or I won't go there at all. And I want to say a word this morning to our young people. I want to encourage you. If you've not given your life to Jesus Christ, if you've not confessed your faith in him as your Lord and as your Savior, there is no better time than today, this morning, to give your life to Jesus, to confess his name and to be baptized for the remission of your sins. We, we have everything in readiness here. Uh, we've got the baptismal clothes. We have people who are willing and eager to help you in your baptism. And I want to encourage you to make the decision this very day, this morning, to give your life to Jesus Christ. We're going to sing one of the old songs, and Sam's going to lead us in it. And listen to the words of that song. And we encourage you simply to step out, come forward, and let us receive you. And we'll take you back where you can change into your baptismal garments. And you can obey your Lord and Jesus Christ this very day. We encourage you. We encourage you to come while we stand and while we sing. to the projector to come back on. Dwayne, thank you for your beautiful words of encouragement. Oh, wait, we can uh, do it old school. We, we're in uh, number 324 in the hymnal. Oh, hey, we got it. All right. Alas, and did my Savior bleed, and did my Sovereign die? Would he devote that sacred head for such a one as I? At the cross, at the cross, where I first saw the light, and the burden of my heart rolled it was there faith I received my sight, and now I am happy all the day. Was it for crimes that I have done, he groaned upon the tree.